0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, happy Resurrection Weekend, everyone. I know everyone refers to it these days as Easter, but Easter is for people who uh, are into chocolate bunnies and hunting eggs and stuff, and we're here to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Amen. Amen. He is risen. Indeed. Indeed. So we welcome you all here uh, at Central Campus as well as those of you who are joining us online and those of you who are meeting together at one of our other campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland, uh, South Calgary, and also in the Crowfoot Theaters in Northwest Calgary. In the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we read this. He is not here. He has risen. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Would you stand with me and join me in reading the next few verses? One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who is going to redeem Israel. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, your, the, your word for this account of the resurrection. And again, Lord, we ask that you would enlighten our minds with the truth of this event. You would soften our hearts, you'd focus our minds, and, Lord, you'd give us the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. He taught with unusual authority and wisdom. He said things that no one had ever said. While he extended love and grace to the hurting and the helpless and the oppressed, he confronted injustice, hypocrisy, and arrogance. He did things that no person had ever done. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He walked on water. He calmed the raging sea. And yes, he raised the dead. He healed the sick, the blind, the lame, the deaf. He set the demonically oppressed free. With each passing day, his followers felt hope building inside of them. Surely this man, Jesus, was the promised one the Messiah, the political, the military leader who would rise up and free them from the occupation and the oppression of the Roman government. The one who would bring prosperity and freedom back to the people of Israel so that the world would know that their God, the God of Israel, is God. But then everything changed. Jesus was arrested no one expected this oh make no mistake Jesus had warned them more than once that this day would come but they dismissed it because given the supernatural power that he possessed and that he displayed what earthly power could possibly stand up to him much less overpower him as far as they were concerned his talk of dying could never happen but it did Within a matter of hours, Jesus was arrested, tried, convicted by a circus court, scourged mercilessly, and crucified on a cross. You see, what they hadn't anticipated was that Jesus wouldn't resist his executioners. But he would willingly lay down his life like a lamb led to the slaughter. And so when Jesus breathed his last on that accursed cross, his followers were devastated. He obviously wasn't the Messiah that they were hoping for. His disciples fled. They hid like frightened children. Hope was knocked right out of them. On Sunday morning, they got word that the tomb was empty, that angelic beings announced he is risen. But the disciples refused to believe it. Peter, he saw the empty tomb, but he wasn't convinced. He packed up, he went home, and went back to fishing. In the passage we just read together, Cleopas and his companion, they refused to believe it. They left the other disciples, they were heading home because the Jesus chapter of their life was over, they were done. And as they walked on the road to Emmaus, they encountered a stranger who overheard their conversation and asked them to tell them about the events that took place in Jerusalem the previous few days. They told him about Jesus, who he was, the amazing things that he did and how it all ended with him being crucified. And in verse 21, they said, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Notice the words, we had hoped. The hope that's being spoken of here is not wishful thinking or naive optimism like hope it won't snow today. That's wishful thinking. No, the hope the disciples had was the expectation of fulfillment. They were counting on Jesus to be the Messiah, to be the deliverer. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, their hope died with them. From a human perspective it looked like this was the end of the road for Jesus and the kingdom that he had come to establish but then a short time later something totally unexpected took place Jesus disciples came together again and it was evident that something had happened to them that radically changed their lives their convictions that gave them restored hope renewed passion and boldness and despite the threat of prison and torture and death something motivated them to leave everything that was precious to them behind and to go and boldly proclaim that jesus is alive and that his promises are true and that something was of course they saw the resurrected christ Over a period of 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus pursued and appeared to his disciples. And the scriptures tell us that he appeared to hundreds of others of his followers, many of whom were still alive at the time that books, scriptures like 1 Corinthians were written, meaning that the skeptics who doubted that he was alive could actually go to talk to people who had witnessed Jesus alive again. Peter, the one who on the night that Jesus was arrested was afraid to admit to a servant girl that he even knew Jesus. Just a few days after the resurrection, at the risk of his own life, began to boldly proclaim the risen Christ to all who would listen. And tradition tells us that he died upside down on a cross for his faith. And we know that he did so because he encountered the living Christ. And then there was Thomas, the one who refused to believe until he could actually touch the wounds of Jesus. However, when he did, Thomas not only dropped to his knees and worshiped Jesus saying, my Lord and my God, But from that moment on, he he gave the rest of his life to Christ, boldly proclaiming the truth of Christ's resurrection in South India until he was tortured for his beliefs. And then, when he wouldn't renounce Christ, suffered a gruesome death. With the exception of John, who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, the other disciples were all martyred for their faith in Christ in similar fashion. Gruesome deaths. And I point that out because there are those who try to explain away the resurrection story, claiming the disciples stole the body of Jesus and concocted a lie that he was alive. But a resolve and a commitment like Peter and Thomas had does not come about by believing a lie, especially a lie that the disciples would have been involved in creating. Now we know people will die for what they believe to be true, even if their cause is misguided or deluded or just plain wrong. We regularly hear of religious extremists who blow themselves up in crowded marketplaces because they believe in their cause. But emotionally healthy people will not die for what they clearly know to be false. There's only one explanation for the sudden transformation that occurred in the life of the disciples of Jesus, and that is they believed Jesus. And they believed him because he rose again as he said he would. Now, the disciples weren't the only ones who were transformed when they encountered the living Christ. So were people who opposed Jesus. One such individual was was James, the half-brother of Jesus. When Jesus began his teaching ministry and started making what many felt was outrageous claims about himself, like I and the Father are one, we read in Mark chapter 3, that James and the rest of Jesus' half-siblings believed that Jesus was out of his mind. They not only didn't believe in him, they wanted nothing to do with him. However, years later, we read in the book of Acts that something dramatic had happened to James. James, we find in Acts, is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, a church that quickly grew to well over 10,000 people. So what happened to James? What caused James to move from wanting nothing to do with Jesus, being embarrassed to even be associated with Jesus, to being one of the key leaders in the movement and church that Christ came to establish? Well, undoubtedly, it was seeing Jesus alive again after his death on the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus made a special resurrection appearance to James. And when James saw the resurrected Christ, all the dots connected for him, and he knew that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Lord and King of the universe. And this truth completely changed James from the inside out. He began to boldly declare his faith And his trust in Jesus, impacting so many lives that the religious leaders of the day just couldn't stand him anymore. And so in 62 AD, they determined to shut him up. They took him to the top of the temple. And they told him if he recanted his faith, if he renounced Jesus, they would set him free, which, of course, he refused to do. And history tells us they threw him off the top of the temple and then beat him with clubs until he was dead. You see, James' life was totally transformed. The purpose, the trajectory of his life completely changed because he met the risen Christ. And then there's Saul of Tarsus. Saul was a Jewish religious leader a Pharisee who had no use for Christ or for Christians. He was offended by the Christian message. He was on a mission to wipe out as many Christians as he could and was doing so quite effectively. But then Paul met the resurrected Christ. And this skeptic and persecutor of Christians became the greatest champion of Jesus Christ and of the church. Boldly the caring for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And how does one explain such a transformation? Because he met the risen Christ, is how? You see, the reason that Christians take the resurrection so seriously is because the Christian faith is built on the life, on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. For example, other religious leaders put their teaching out front and they say, follow my teachings. Jesus put himself out front and said, follow me. Other religious leaders said, this is the way you should go to find truth and to find eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He essentially said, my resurrection will prove that I am the Son of God. And that my teachings and that my my promises and my prophecies are true. So the question I want to pose right now is, is, where do you stand with respect to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? This is a critical question that we must not ignore. Because as we've seen in the lives of Jesus' disciples, where you land on this issue will affect the trajectory not only of your life, but your eternity. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, like a lawyer, tries to explain the implications of the resurrection this way. In verse 14, he writes, "'If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith.'" Paul says, look, if if there's no resurrection, then our Christian faith is worthless. We may as well pack it in and go home the way Peter did. The way the two fellows that were on the road to Emmaus did. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, it means that he isn't who he said he was. Which means that he's a deceiver. He's not worth following. It means the Bible isn't true that every sermon that has ever been preached, every Bible lesson that has ever been taught has been a waste of time. In verse 32, Paul says, if there's no resurrection, we may as well eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, he's saying, if the resurrection never happened, there's no need for us to keep giving our money to advance the kingdom of God and to help others. We may as well spend all of we have on ourselves. If Jesus is dead, there's no need to serve and care for others, or to keep meeting like this in worship, to be taught from the scriptures. I mean, we may as well enjoy our weekends and do whatever it is we want to do. In short, if Jesus is dead, and this is our only shot at life, then we may as well live for ourselves. And I know that sounds really dark and grim, but the Apostle Paul says, if you think it through logically, this is where you end up if Jesus is in the tomb. But, says Paul in verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Amen? Amen? And church, that changes everything, changes everything. You know, a few moments ago, I briefly told the story of several disciples, even opponents of Christ, whose lives were radically changed when they encountered the living Christ. And I was thinking about that this last week. I was thinking about some of the issues in my life. And I thought to myself, what difference does knowing Jesus make as I work through these issues in my life. I'm wondering if you've ever given extended thought to how your belief that Jesus lives, if in fact you believe that, but how your belief that Jesus lives is making a difference in your life. How knowing that Jesus lives is impacting your character, your values, Your purpose, passion, and identity in life. I want you to reflect on that question while I talk about the difference the resurrection makes in our lives in the time remaining. First of all, because Christ lives, it means that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the very Son of God. Jesus was more than a moral teacher who came to give good advice like be loving, be kind, be gentle, and be generous. People don't get crucified for giving good advice. He was crucified because he claimed to be God, a claim that Buddha and Confucius and Muhammad never made about themselves. In John 5.18, it says the religious leaders tried to kill Jesus because he was, quote, Even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. See, the authorities of that day knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. And is why they wanted him dead. And when they crucified him, if he had stayed dead, that would have been the end of it. But that wasn't the end of it few days later, he was walking around alive. That'd be a little upsetting if you were the person that crucified him. <laughs> Which proved he wasn't deluded, that he wasn't a deceiver. He was telling the truth. When Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he was telling the truth. Which means if we believe that Jesus lives we cannot also believe that all religions lead to the same place. Or that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Because Jesus lives, it also means that he's the author of the scriptures and that he speaks to us through the scriptures. And if we believe he lives, we will be talking to him through the day and hearing from him through the reading and meditating of the scriptures daily. If we believe Jesus lives, it means we won't embrace some passages that we like and feel good about and ignore other passages that convict us and challenge us to grow. Tim Keller says, people say to me, I could never become a Christian. When I ask them why, they say, well, there are parts of the Bible I I find offensive. Years ago, he says, people were often offended by what the Bible had to say about money because they didn't like the idea of having to give their money away. Today in New York, he says, they're much more offended by what the Bible says about sex. Keller says, I often say to them, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like Jesus' teaching but whether or not he rose from the dead. If Jesus is alive, then he is Lord. He is Lord. And you are going to have to accept all that he said. On the other hand, if Jesus is still in the grave, then you need not worry about anything he said. Are you beginning to see how our belief that Jesus lives, how it impacts our lives? If we really believe it? Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. But he doesn't just want us to pray about this. He wants to do his will on earth through us. Now if you believe that Jesus is dead, you can ignore this, but if you believe he lives, this will have huge implications for your life. And so for example, every time you extend grace and you forgive those who have hurt you, even when everything inside of you screams not to, You are proclaiming by your obedience, my Jesus lives. Every time you desperately want to get back at someone who hurt you by speaking poorly of them to someone else, but you don't do it because you believe Jesus is there with you. He's listening in and he tells you not to slander others. You are proclaiming, my Jesus lives. Every time we release our grip on our money and our stuff and we give generously as Jesus calls us to, we are proclaiming, my Jesus is alive. Every time a parent who has been neglecting their children has a change of heart and obedience to Christ makes them a greater priority, they are proclaiming, my Jesus lives. Every time a couple humble themselves and in obedience to Jesus Christ daily choose to love and respect each other and to be faithful to each other even when they don't feel like it or believe the other deserves it, they're proclaiming, my Jesus lives. Every time people give of our time to care for the hurting, to visit the elderly, to provide meals for the hungry, to shelter for the poor, In Jesus' name, they're proclaiming to the world, Our Jesus lives. Every time people serve children or youth and adults, those with special needs, in and through the church, in Jesus' name, they're proclaiming, Jesus lives. And as a result of our faithfulness, God's kingdom will come and God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven why he came. Secondly, because Jesus lives, your worth and your identity is based on him and him alone. If you believe Jesus lives, it means your job, your possessions, the amount of money in the bank does not define your value. If you believe Jesus lives, it means you won't let the success or the promotion The status of someone else that you know define you or discourage you. Because the living Christ, who created everything, says to you through his word, you are worth more than all the money in the world. You are worth more than any position, any position of power. In fact, you are so precious to him, he died for you. You know, friends, I remind you that man's kingdom, man's achievements are temporary. But God's kingdom is forever. Back 2,000 years ago, Caesar and Rome were a big deal. And Christians, or little Christs as they were called, were a small, insignificant minority. But because of Christ's resurrection, 2,000 years later, Christians, or little Christ's number in the billions, and little Caesar's is the name of a pizza. Remember that, <laughs> Joel Gregory. He says, "How many times have you had? How many times have your hopes been riveted to someone who let you down, or to something that did not work out? How many of you have met what you believed was Mr. Right, only to find out he wasn't even Mr. Half Right?" How many of you have met your dream boat only for it to turn out to be the Titanic? How many of you have fastened all of your hope to being accepted in a certain university program of studies or getting a certain job or a certain promotion only to find that once you had it, you still felt empty and unsatisfied? See here's the reality. God has so designed life that everything that we place our hope in short of Jesus will ultimately disappoint us. C.S. Lewis warned about the tyranny of the false absolute. When When you give to anyone or anything the place that belongs to God, you will always be disappointed and unsatisfied. Friends, our identity and our true hope can only be found in our living Lord and in Him alone. Thirdly, because Jesus lives, our past regrets and failures, they need not define us. When Jesus told His disciples how he would suffer and that his followers would desert him. Peter, he stood up and he said, Jesus, you can count on me. Everybody else may take off, but man, I'm going to, be sta- I'm going to stand with you. And of course, you know the story. On the very first night when Jesus was arrested, in one conversation... Peter did everything he said he would never do. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like you blew it so badly? Ever felt that you were such a loser? You were convinced that you would never again be forgiven, you'd never again be respected. And yet, Jesus didn't write off Peter. After the resurrection, Jesus came to Peter and he asked him three times Simon, do you love me? He didn't say, Peter, I I can't believe you did this. No, he asked Peter, do you love me? You see, if you believe Jesus lives, You'll grieve, and you'll weep over your sin. Yes, you'll cry out to God and ask Him to forgive you. But after you do that, you won't believe the lie that God doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. You'll believe the truth that Jesus is far more interested in having a loving friendship with you than he is in your train wrecks. Peter, do you love me? Because that's what matters to me, Peter. Do you love me? Make no mistake. If you have sin in your life, And the guilt is eating you up inside. The living Jesus will forgive you. He will. Your spouse may never forgive you. The person at work may never forgive you. That friend that you disappointed or hurt may never forgive you. But you see, here's the thing, forgiveness isn't theirs to give or to withhold. Steve May says, the one who has the power to forgive is the one who has the power over death. And He will forgive you, absolutely, completely, without fail, when you come to Him in repentance. Jesus came back to life to set you free from your past and to bring you back to life. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fourthly, because Jesus lives, we need not face our problems alone. His resurrection proves that He's stronger than any failure any loss or disappointment. No situation is beyond His awareness or power. Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. In other words, whatever pain, whatever loss, whatever disappointment you may be dealing with, because Jesus lives, We can know that God's aware of it and He will make all things work out for our good and His ultimate glory. We can trust Him in this. This is not to minimize the pain, the loss, the evil, or of whatever it is we're facing. It simply means the story isn't over yet. Cancer does not have the final word. War does not have the final word. Marriage breakdown does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word. Jesus has the final word. Because Jesus lives, we can lean on him. With our problems and our concerns, we can trust him because we know he's a good God. He has our best interests at heart. We can sleep peacefully at night, even if our life feels out of control because we believe he lives and is very much in control. And then finally, because Jesus lives, our life does not end at the grave. When death comes the question on the mind of every loved one is 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 this it is this where it all ends well paul says in 1 corinthians 15 death does not have the final say because christ has been raised from death we too shall be raised if we put our trust in christ Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. This is our living hope. Heaven is real. Jesus is the way to heaven. The best is yet to be. Death is not the end. It's only the beginning. Now those are just a few of the ways that the resurrection impacts our lives, friends. My question again in closing is, how convinced are you that Jesus is alive today? If you believe that he lives, I challenge you to live every day with the awareness that he is with you. Wanting to help you, wanting to guide you and empower you to be his representative and to carry out the assignments that he gives you. If you're not convinced that Jesus lives, you owe it to yourself and to your eternity to investigate the compelling evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And believe me, there's lots of it. Dr. Simon Greenlee, former professor of law at Harvard University. He was a skeptic who took great delight, as I understand many professors these days take great delight in mocking Christians in their classes. Some of his students, however, didn't let him off the hook. They challenged him to take the principles that he was teaching on the laws of legal evidences And apply them to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, he eventually took on the challenge. And as a result of his findings, he became a Christ follower. And he went on to write that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the best established facts of history. According to the rules of evidence administered in a court of justice. Friends, Dr. Greenleaf... And countless others like him, down through history, turned from skeptics to believers because they had an open enough mind to investigate the truth rather than just make fun of a faith they didn't understand. My question is, have you really investigated the truth? Or would you say you're just looking for reasons not to believe. Many people want to believe in Jesus. They just don't want to follow Jesus. They believe Jesus was a good man but they just can't accept Him being God because they don't want to answer to Him one day. But simply believing that Jesus was a good man is misguided because a good man wouldn't have made the claims Jesus made about himself if he knew they weren't true. And so I ask again, do you believe Jesus lives? Max Licato says we must make a choice. Jesus doesn't give us an option. He says, you've got to choose. Call him crazy or crown him as king. Dismiss him as a fraud or declare him to be God, but don't play games with him. Don't call him a great man. Don't clump him with Moses, Elijah, Buddha, Joseph Smith, Muhammad, or Confucius. He didn't leave that option. He is either God or godless. Heaven sent or hell born. All hope or all hype, but nothing in between. In Romans 10, 9, Paul spells out the decision we must all make. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul says you can't be a Christian and leave Jesus in the tomb. He says eternal life comes to those who believe in their heart. Not just in their head. They believe in their heart. They have such a deep conviction that Jesus is alive. That it radically changes their values and the trajectory of their lives. So much so that they're prepared to tell whoever will listen. That Jesus is not only Lord... King and God, but their Lord, their King, and their God. Would you please stand for closing prayer? My friend, I'm here to tell you that I live for Jesus because He's alive. I have no doubt that he rose from the grave, that he lives in and through me. I serve a risen Savior, a God who's alive. And that truth has made all the difference in my life. What are you going to do with Jesus and his claims? I challenge you to act on the truth of what you've heard today to respond to him take a moment right now and say Lord what are you saying to me and Lord what do you want me to do about it Is open to anyone who would like to come and just pray. To anyone who is a Christian, who perhaps in a new way you've come to realize that you've not been living like Jesus lives, and you want that to change. To anyone in here who perhaps is got a lot of questions but you've come to that conviction that he is alive and you want to dedicate your life to him the altar is open come make your peace with him and now may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.